Hi, I'm Don Manella, and you're listening to the Monarchist Podcast. I'm Aaron. And I'm Mike. And you're listening to the Monarchist Podcast. It's bright and early, and it's a breakfast podcast with Dom Mueller, head coach of the Old Dominion men's tennis team. ODU's won three conference titles in our history, Dom having won two of those in only the last five years. Clearly, the program is on the rise. Dom, welcome to the best and only ODU podcast. Well, thanks for having me on. Much appreciated. Uh, we're blessed to be able to talk with you this morning. I'd love to hear about what has made Old Dominion a program that you saw worth taking a, a chance on when you took the job. No, that, that, that's a great question. Um, you know, I, I'll, I'll be honest with you. When you know, when was that now? Almost eight years ago, you know, I was an assistant coach at, at, at a Power Five school, and and I saw the job opening, and and the two biggest reasons I I really wanted to apply was number one, ODU actually came for the so-called ITA kickoff to Baylor back then, and I saw the team firsthand, and then when I looked at the roster, I was like, this whole team is lower classmen. Yeah, it's like whoever takes this job has a team that's already good for another two years. So that was really what got me interested in the first place. And then I learned more about ODU. Yeah, I, I really did research on the facilities, re- did research on the setup. Luckily, got the opportunity to interview, saw everything in first hand, and then everything stonewalled. But it was really, uh, I'll be honest, when I when when I first applied for this job, it wasn't a rebuild. It was already, yeah. Uh, Alyosha, the coach before me, had uh, really established this program already, and I felt like, you know, um, with a yeah, couple minor, you know, maybe touches from me, we can really do something special here. All right, coach. So, I love all that. It certainly seems like an awesome reason to come to Old Dominion. So, you've been here for a little while. Obviously, you're having some great success. How's ODU as a whole, the university, and and Old Dominion men's tennis changed in the last eight years? Well, a lot. I mean, look at look at just the campus. Yeah, I think you can really see yeah the new facilities that we are having. Um, you can see the the influx of students on campus. Yeah, and I heard it, it's even it's even more dramatic compared to twenty years ago. But it really feels like more and more of a campus life throughout the eight, eight years I've been here. Yeah, and 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 that support and that that family aspect that that you're receiving and feeling every day makes it just a special place to come to work with every day. All right, so recently you guys had fall nationals and your top doubles team went to the finals. What was that experience like and what do you think it makes the Twins different? What do you think makes them different to, to get to that level so quickly? Well, and, and, and I think that you, you said something really interesting, our, our top doubles team. Going into the tournament, we could have all argued they were our second team. Yeah, because um, what was I think what's I will come to 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 answer your question, but I think I think it's important for everybody to understand that we had two teams at Fall Nationals. Yeah, and if you if 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 you allow me to give a little background of this tournament, yeah, this is Fall Nationals. All starts with regionals. Yeah, to, um, college tennis has twelve regions, and in every region, sixty-four doubles teams started. So you do the math, that's seven hundred plus teams, and we had two in the final thirty-two. So by that. We only had, uh, we only made it to the you know, top five percent in the country, and the twins actually made it at large. Our other team won regionals; they got the direct bid, and our, twi- uh, our twins brothers actually 
they actually made it at large. And you know, you've been in this business long enough, you covered it long enough. Getting it at large, but as a mid-major, you know, there's politics involved in college athletics, that's special enough. Yeah, so for them to then make it a run, and I think now them being six in the country, you, you can obviously argue they're our number one team. But just to say uh, we, we actually had two teams there. What makes them special is I think obviously they're brothers. They have a special connection. They've played with each other years before in Davis Cup. So they knew each other. They, they, they knew their tendencies. But I think what really makes them special is they're still different and they bring their best out of each other. Cody, for example, he's more of a quiet guy. He's more business-like. He's... He's very yeah, um, locked in. Connor, on the other hand, is a little more relaxed, a little more chilled. And I think that they're, again, Connor makes Cody get a little more out of himself. Cody brings Connor a little more in, forces him, fo- focuses him to lock in. And together, they absolutely bring the best out of them. And that's why, uh, besides just their tennis talent, are such a good team. All right, Coach. So you got two teams. Two doubles teams ranked yeah. top 33, 1-6, 1-33. I am a, uh, I would say, a novice tennis fan. So the last couple of years is kind of where I've started to try to try to learn, one, learn the game, as my son recently started playing. Two, how to be a tennis fan. And Dom Manila has been kind enough to kind of give me some pointers there on what to do. And I know his ladies like folks to make noise when they're out there. It's not uh, not what I would have anticipated. So... One question I have for you is clearly doubles is going to be a strength for this this squad when it comes to getting into, you know, later this year and you're playing your conference sort of things. But how does that strength as a school with good doubles teams translate on the single side? Because I know the games are so different. They are. They are. And, and I think, honestly, I think too many schools overemphasize doubles. Now, I think you know, at the end of the day, doubles is one-seventh of the dual match. It only, in parentheses, counts as one point in a tennis dual match. Sure, you play it earlier, you have that momentum. Essentially, doubles is a tiebreaker, right? Doubles really only comes into play when you split singles three and three. But since you played before singles, there's a big momentum piece. So um, I'm always yeah, not trying to overemphasize it with our guys because I'm, I don't want them to think if we don't win the doubles point, that we don't have a chance to win the dual match. Yeah, that's um, also why yeah, I think we're one of the only teams in the country, um, if, you, if fans pay attention, between doubles and singles, I have our guys wear a different shirt, a different colored shirt, to really emphasize the difference, because even though it's momentum, I want them to say, hey, doubles and singles are still independent. But I think, um, to really answer your question, I really think this this fall or the the... The, the results this fall gave our unit as a whole a lot of confidence. Now, I was with the rest of the team at Wake Forest during that tournament. You know, Othman, my associate head coach, was in San Diego. And them, really, they every day we followed the matches together. They were really, they were so excited for their teammates to do well. And they really felt like they put not just them on the map individually, they put our program on the map. And I just think in for singles as a program, we're feeding off a lot of confidence going into the spring after those results. Well, I'm really looking forward to, was it January when you guys start first playing here in Norfolk? I'm going to show my age a little bit, but you having them change their t-shirts and kind of setting the stage for that reminds me of, what was that old Stallone movie, Mike, Over the Top, where he takes his hat and spins it around backwards. It's like kind of flipping the switch and putting those other shirts is kind of flipping the switch to singles. I like that idea, coach. Yeah, no, and... Uh, I'm not familiar with that movie, but I think if, if it worked for Sylvester Stallone, it definitely can work for us. 
Yeah, it's an old arm wrestling movie. Very weird concept of a movie, but it's a it's a American classic. Obviously, last year you had, your team had a lot of success, uh, winning the Sun Belt Championship and going to NCAA uh, team tournament. Talk to us how about how you build a team, how you work through that process. Yeah, that's a that, that's a great question. Well, I think at the end it all starts with recruiting, right? Um, I think every, every, any coach would tell you the same thing. Um, you know, building a culture. And, you know, getting them better every day. These are obviously important pieces. But at the end, you got to work with a certain talent. If you don't have a base, yeah, you can be the best coach in the world. You're not going to you know, get to a certain level. So I think we've done uh, a good job in the, in the last eight years to evaluate talent, to really figure out what kind of caliber recruits we're going after. Yeah? And then do develop and do create a culture. And I think, um, yeah, I think it... it, it it obviously took us well, even though you know we had early success with that, with uh, with winning the 2018 conference championship. Yeah, um, but again, that was that was there was a veteran team. There was a team that already already played a lot. It still took a couple of years to really, um, I think, sort of maximize that culture. And I think now, when when for example, when freshmen are coming in, they. They, they learn that culture in the locker room. It's not just the coaches preaching it. It's really the players. And you can really see that now. You can really see that, that there are certain guys. Okay, we, we can take Cody for an example. I said Cody is a little more of a quiet guy. Um, and yeah, he certainly was like that as a freshman. But now as a G, uh, junior, he really steps up. He's leading. He's vocal. Yeah, and he really yeah, preaches the, the values of the program in the locker room so that we as coaches don't have to step in all the time. Uh, Coach, let's build on that recruiting-wise a little bit. So I'm looking at the roster, and for those Monarch fans who haven't had an opportunity to get out to to, to watch either team, tennis is a little a little different than some of the other sports, and then there's a real strong international flavor with regards to recruiting. So if I look here, I'm seeing Germany, Switzerland, France, another Germany, and, and two from Namibia. So recruiting-wise, yeah. one, how do you and your staff kind of maximize and be efficient and effective in recruiting your potential student athletes from overseas and then two how do you know they're comfortable with old dominion and and what they're gonna how they're gonna live here uh with them being overseas and perhaps not getting to see the the campus in person before they step foot absolutely well not to forget for your listeners we also have two americans on the team (laughs) it's not like we're i just want to no um yeah, no, I think I think recruiting it's it's always a challenge, and and I say that a lot. What also makes us unique, and and I would say maybe golf is, yeah, you know, for recruiting, yeah, you know, we're we're an individual sport that for in the college setup becomes a team sport, and I think the kids don't even know how they're gonna react in a team setup. You know, let let basketball, football, yeah, when when those coaches recruit and they see those kids in high school, they already seen them in the team environment. So they can really evaluate already when they watch them. Hey, this t- this kid is a team player or he's not. Therefore, us, as I said, the kids don't might not even know because they've never played in a team. So I think that's just unique in our sport. And again, maybe golf where, again, that's a little bit of luck. Yeah. But I think, yeah, if you re- the, the countries that you mentioned, um, you know, Osman, my associate head coach, he's from Morocco. So he actually know the Van Schaakwik family back then in the African tennis center already when they were little boys. Yeah. Um, one of our Germans is from the same state as I am. So I had to, I was fortunate 
um, to talk to junior coaches and, and did my research there. Yeah, and then I think when we start having those recruiting calls with these kids, we're really laying them out, hey, this is what it's about. And there are certain things where we're telling them straight out, if you don't like certain things, then don't consider us. Then please take us from the list. Yeah, and obviously that doesn't necessarily mean that the kids, if they are not into that, if they don't looking for that, that they are doing that. But we are trying to be upfront with what our values are and what's important to us. Because, yeah, it, 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 at the end of the day, if you don't get the right fit, neither party is going to benefit. If the kid comes, you know, coaches are salespeople, right? Every coach in the country is selling their recruits why they should come to a certain school. But I think, unfortunately, too many of the wrong messages are being sold just to get a kid. And then if the kid, if the kid is not happy, he realizes that within a week on campus, the kid doesn't produce. And then we are not happy either. So just telling them a story that's not true, it's just... Honestly, at the end of the day, it's just going to back, backfire. So, yeah, we're just trying to, to again, to, to send a message on the front and share our values. And really, yeah, in a way, you know, it sounds a little silly. Hope that the kid really, it resonates with the kid and the kid is true to themselves that that's what they're looking for. All right. So college recruiting has seen two major changes in the last couple of years. One is the instant ability to play instantly one time as a transfer, and the other is NIL. How have those two impacted college tennis? You know, the, the transfer rule, not as much. Uh, because before before that rule was in place, you could still transfer with, with a um, release from your coach, and your coach could block you for certain schools. More mainly, it was like you couldn't transfer into the same conference and the same region. So really, to the, the first part of the question, now you can now you see kids transferring into the same conference, but I don't think that really has changed us or our sport that much. The NIL piece is really starting to come in place. Now again, I have I've heard some numbers and some stories from the big schools, and well, can I give you a longer answer how that has impacted our recruiting? Absolutely. Okay, every school gets a certain NCA limit for scholarships. So men's tennis has four and a half. Yeah, uh, you know, we talked about it. You need at least six starters in tennis. So. We are one of the only sports that has less scholarships than starters required. So none of our kids, yeah, to, to build depth, yeah, you, you got to, you know, we're trying to have eight guys on the team. You got to figure out a way to split up your four and a half scholarships over eight players. So before NIL and quite a before Alston money and all that good stuff, um, smaller schools would outbid the big schools for good players. Yeah, because big schools are schools competing for a national championship. They're trying to split up their four and a half scholarships so that they could, create depth. Without depth, you can win a championship. So a lot of smaller schools were potentially offering a, a big scholarship or full scholarship to an elite player, but then they were struggling with depth. Now with NIL, Alston money, the big schools are actually out offering us because they are not operating on four and a half scholarships. They're operating on six, seven, eight scholarships. So it has really uneven the playing field. Um, yeah. And I think this is the first year where we were starting to see it. And I think in the in the next two to three years, you will really see the gap getting, yeah, as prominent in our sport. Sorry, my dog just came in. I hope that's okay. Hey, we like dogs. Mike's uh, Mike's partner is right over his left shoulder that you might be able to see hey. there. But uh, that's great insight, Coach. And Mike and I are trying to get more and more tuned with NIL every day. Obviously, the pride of ODU with the collective just having yeah. come public recently. Um, but it's it's great for Monarch Nation to understand what the landscape is of different college athletics. 
yeah, no, and I, I, I think that's important for for fans to know. And and obviously, yeah, um, we we want to compete with the best in all of our sports. I mean, we've seen that, right? Two of our sports already won conference championships this fall, and I think you know basketball is getting off to a great start. I think both of our tennis teams are going to compete. I think I think our fans know that that we're going to produce a lot of championships, and. Um, but, but I think the other Sun, Sunbelt schools are not going to sleep on that either. Yeah, they know the 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 the, the environment too, and and I, and I think for us to make runs at the NCAs deep and and keep winning those championships, that's unfortunately a new truth, and, and we gotta we gotta catch up. So, coach, before before we let you talk about some of your fellas and kind of tell Monarch Nation about your squad, talk to us a little bit about yourself. How did you get started playing tennis, and uh, what led you into coaching? Sure. Um, so I'm born in 1986. So for all those tennis fans out there in Germany, um, it was one year after Boris Becker won Wimbledon. So the way my parents explained it to me, I was pretty much born into this big tennis boom in Germany where tennis clubs had waiting lists and all that. So that's how my family joined the tennis club. So apparently as a little boy, as a baby, I just grew up on the tennis courts and had a little tennis racket and hit it, hit a balloon. And then it was like five, six, my my parents started giving me lessons and um, yeah, I was a very stereotypical kid. I played soccer, I played some other sports and eventually I had to drop one sport at a time and I was just sort of, tennis was my best sport and I think it was around 12, 13, I just stuck with tennis um, solely and I, I was a pretty good junior. I was able to you know, play some of the junior Grand Slams and that got me recruited to college and uh, I ended up playing college tennis at Baylor University, um, but st- still pretty stereotypical for an international student. I got a business degree in finance and thought, okay, I'm going to play college tennis for four years, go back and use my degree at home. So I did do that for a three-month internship at Deutsche Bank, but realized that the corporate world just isn't for me. Didn't like the corporate world at all. Um, Sports was always my passion. I'm a sports nerd. I like all types of sports. I was like, you know, I go back to the States, and I'm going to do my master's in sports management. And even then I thought, you know, master's in sports management, bachelor's in, in finance, maybe I can do something, you know, sports business related. So I got went back to Baylor and I was a volunteer coach for one year. Now I was doing my master's, I had time. I was like, hi, hi, let's volunteer for the team. That gave me a lot. And that's really when it started. I fell in love that one year, um, loved coaching. And honestly, the stars aligned after I after I finished my masters. The assistant coach left Baylor, and the coach that I played for, my mentor, asked me, "Hey, do you want to be my full time assistant?" And I had to think for like two seconds, took the job, and rest is history. What's up, Monarch Nation? This is Aaron from the Monarchist. We'll have more about this on an upcoming episode. But as some of you may have seen, we signed on as partners with SANIL and the pride of ODU Collective. We did this largely to keep the show free for fans and make it a self-sustaining project as it can get pricey to bring you this content. Even better, this allows fans another way to help the university. With every ad read we had, that means dollars for the collective. So just by listening or visiting our website, you are helping our student athletes. Another great perk of this partnership is our new relationship with Roback. Roback makes some of the most comfortable polos and pullovers on the market, and they look sharp. Right now, with code MONARCHS, our listeners can receive 20% off their order 
And with each sale, with that code, a commission will go to the pride of ODU. So you save money on great clothing while supporting our student-athletes. Just use code MONARCHS at checkout, get 20% off, and help ODU thrive. Thanks, and enjoy the rest of the show. That's great. So I know as a fans, we're drawn to certain types of players. Um, yeah. I'd love to hear if you're drawn when you're in the recruiting process to a certain type of player. Oh, absolutely. And, and I think on the roster, you may not be able to see it, but if you really see our team, um, we're very tall. Uh, in San Diego, I know I got uh, when, when Otman took those four guys, I got text messages from two coaches. I was like, how tall are you guys? And when we travel at the airport, people are like, are you the basketball team? To be fair, they're not that tall. But I think for regular people that see us, it's like, this is a tall team. And that's part of it. I think we're really drawn to tall athletic guys. Um, because to be fair, that's also the where tennis is trending on the pro levels. When I played, tall, when you were a little too tall, you weren't that athletic. You couldn't move that well. And this new generation of tennis players, they're tall and athletic and can move well. So they're serving big. They're good athletes. Because of their size, they have a big, uh, uh, bigger uh, sp- um, wingspan, and they they just have they can produce more power. So yeah, it's it's a tall, athletic kid, and I call our recruiting niche recruiting. Yeah, every every school in the country is looking yeah for the guy that's already whatever top fifty in the world in our sport. Um, we are really looking for the guys again that are that have these physical attributes. They're raw diamonds where we see the talent is there, but they haven't maximized it yet. Uh, and I really think that you can see that we, we, we have been doing a good job and then maximizing that talent and um, yeah, with those tools that we're looking for. It's interesting that you bring that up and you talk about the guys being taller and longer. Mike, we, we just had this discussion the other night with regards to basketball and how those players are just getting bigger and longer. We're seeing in the NBA with a couple of the, you know, top draft picks this year. And Mike's bringing up the top of going, maybe the court is too small now. Maybe we need to come up with an initiative to make the court smaller because or the court larger because everything is just compressing. And with you talking about bigger, longer tennis players with better reach and be able to get to things, I mean, has that really started to change the game and that the kind of court is compressing a little? I think as the equipment has 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 caught up, so they're now the, the the strings allow for the guys to control that power much better. I honestly think with with the with the you know, I just played twenty years ago, so it's not that long ago. But with the strings that we played, those strings wouldn't have allowed that. Allowed it. The one thing, and and that's unfortunately a negative byproduct. I do see a lot more is rolled ankles in our sport. Yeah, I feel like between I mean on our team, I feel like we have a guy rolling the ankle and having an ankle sprain and being out for a couple of weeks every single year right now. And I feel like ten years ago when I got into this, when I was a player. I don't, I don't recall one of my teammates ever rolling their ankle. Yeah, and I think the physicality of the sport, again, these kids are so fast, yeah, they're taller, they're, they're rolling their ankle way more on these hard courts. And uh, not, again, not just our team, I see that all over our sport. So, yes, I do see that byproduct. When it comes to like other injuries, I honestly don't think that they, it, it has um, um, put a bigger toll on the, on the bodies. Yeah. But as I said, between equipment that has absorbed it, but rolled ankles. I see a lot of rolled ankles in college tennis in the last five years. All right. I'd love to hear your thoughts on the different types of surfaces. 
So obviously this hard court is the most common. You got clay, you got grass. I'd love to hear what your thoughts on that. And does that impact recruiting? Because I don't know how the courts yeah. are in Europe. No, you're, you're right. Um, you know, here in the U.S., we pretty much all play on hard court. Now, some of the country clubs have their green clay, but college tennis is all hard court. The European kids or the South South American kids, they pretty much all grow up on clay. So it does play a part in recruiting because a lot of their results are on clay. And clay does play a little different. Yeah, So I think there's a certain game style in recruiting where you see, okay, this kid is maybe better on clay, so maybe his results are a little inflated. And then some, we're like, well, you know, this kid is actually more of a hardcore player. When he goes to hardcore, I think his results will be even better than what he's shown yet. Yeah. Um, you know, clay is usually a little slower. The ball bounces higher, takes a little more spin. Grass is usually the fastest. The ball bounces low. And uh, But grass is really just played for like two weeks in England over the summer. Um, like I personally have never played on real grass. I played on synthetic grass, never real grass. The other one, and I think a lot of people may not know that, in Europe we also have carpet. Like an indoor, like an indoor, uh, it's an indoor surface. That's actually light on the bodies and uh, on the joints. But also it's close. It's similar to grass where it's fast and the ball bounces low. But me personally, my favorite was always clay. I like the sliding. You can really, you can get to some balls you cannot get on other courts because you can slide there. Uh, again, it's it sounds weird, but your socks get dirty afterwards. It's a little more of that blue color mentality that I think yeah, fits me, fits our program. So... I always enjoyed the red clay. Awesome. All right, Coach. Well, we know that uh, we're compressed for time this morning. The kids have to get to school. So let's talk about your roster. You know, talk about yes. the, the guys that you have that, you know, are maybe new, guys that are coming back, and kind of what you know, each of us should look for when we come out to watch all in January for those players. Yeah, no. So really, um, we're having a pretty new team from our championship team last year. Yeah, I think we're only having uh, three starters back. Um, so they're they are sort of building the nucleus of the experience and they've been there. And um, yeah, to go through them, that's Cody. And we've talked about Cody. Uh, Cody is, is now a junior and yeah, he, he's really gotten better every single year and, and you know, leading us in doubles. But as I said, he's really become a leader on this team. The other two are Com from France and Jacob from Germany. Now Com was the... Um, ITA Atlantic um, newcomer of the year and Jacob was the Sun Belt um, newcomer of the year. He transferred from Ole Miss last year. So I think we have a lot of success, a lot of experience from last year. And then we added some really exciting Yannis. Yannis actually, Yannis was, was on the team last year. He wasn't a starter. But Yannis from Switzerland, he really he really took it to the next level this fall. We, we knew that, you know, he was a freshman last year and I think for him, the intensity of college, and uh, the environment it took him a year to get used to it but we knew last year when we had to talk after this he's like Yannis you will you will be a big part of this team last year and he's shown that in the fall he had an unbelievable fall so he will be a big piece um, of our team um, and we've got two freshmen yeah Connor which is Cody's younger brother yeah his doubles partner yeah, he was maybe I, mean, I don't know about ever but for sure he was the highest ever uh, highest rated recruit in my eight years here Honestly, he might be—he might have been the highest-rated recruit ever at ODU Tennis. Yeah, he was 36 in the world last year. He played all four Junior Grand Slams. Um, so we were really excited. He—he he rolled his ankle right before he came to us. So he actually missed out the first month month of the fall. So honestly, I feel like, yeah, it, 
doubles. We were fortunate that that doubles run was at the end of the semester. But I, I really wish that he would have been healthy the whole fall because I think we would have already seen um, his potential in singles. But we saw some sparks in his last singles tournament, so I think he will be very special for us. Ayan, our other German freshman, he brings so much young young energy. I mean, this kid, the, he is at every ODU sporting event. He's been in every football game. He, he watches field hockey, soccer. He's at, he is already, he's been here, what is that, three months? He's already the biggest ODU sports fan. He's just this raw, young, little naive, but in a really good way, energy. Yeah, and then we brought in three transfers. Yeah, Maxime, he's a, he's a transfer from Cleveland State. Canadian kid, he played one for Cleveland State. He was a Horizon League player of the year there. So he's also um, you know, bringing some experience yeah, in college tennis. We got Thomas. Uh, he's from Chicago. He transferred from Marquette. Yeah, and, and Parker, who's a, who's a JUCO transfer from Dallas. Um, so really, I think what, the, what, 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 what fans can look for is, is a team that's, that's young and energetic. Yeah, you, you mentioned it earlier that there's a lot of energy in college tennis. I think our team is probably one of the loudest teams in college tennis. Yeah, but they are not obnoxious. They're really they don't do that because I tell them to. They're doing it because they just enjoy it. There's again, there's this fun, young energy. They just they just enjoy themselves and they're bringing it on the court every single day. So we've talked with other coaches about this, but putting together a schedule. Obviously, your schedule is pretty challenging. We'd love to hear about how you built the schedule now that we're in Sun Belt, and how you adapted yeah. that from when you were in Conference USA. Oh, the, the biggest change is that in Conference USA, we didn't have a regular season. Conference USA, we really just played the conference tournament. Yeah, so, you know, if, if, you, if, you, if your high, national ranking wasn't high enough that you would compete for an at-large spot, you put all your eggs in that one weekend. And it's the same in the Sun Belt, essentially, right? You are, you are still playing for that automatic bid. But there's two championships on the line. Yeah, and, and I told, I, I, when, when we moved to Sun Belt, that was one of the most exciting things. I told our team, it's like, hey, we're playing for two rings here. We're playing for two trophies. And I think if you win the regular season, let's just in a hypothetical, you win the regular season, but you fall short in the in the conference tournament, um, you feel still, you still get a championship, you still get a ring, you still feel like you accomplished something. Now, when I was at Baylor, and and a little different because we we knew we want to be in the, we, we're going to be in the NCAA tournament every year. The regular season meant way more than the conference tournament. The conference tournament was more like an extra weekend of extra matches to maybe improve your seeding a little bit. But the regular season is what we were playing for. And, and, and I felt that last year. Like playing a regular season was special. So yeah, to answer your question, these are eight. We were having eight regular season matches in the summer. We have nine men's tennis teams. These are eight matches that are scheduled for us that you know, we don't have to worry about. Yeah. Then our philosophy is um, you know, in men's tennis, in tennis, both in tennis, you're ranking 75 teams. And most other sports rank top 25. In our sport, you rank top 75. That's really where, and we have a computer ranking. So there's no, there's no human polls. There's no coaches poll. It's all straight computer. You get a certain amount of points assigned. So my goal is to schedule as many top 75 teams as possible. Really, the sweet spot, I, maybe throwing in a top 10 team here or there, but really my philosophy is go for volume of teams that finished the year before between 25 and 75. Yeah, that's the sweet spot. That's the range I'm looking for to just get a volume of, of teams that you know, improve our strength of schedule, give us the points, challenge us, but we are really in every match and have a chance to win. All right, Coach, so when we've had uh, Don Manila on, we you know, talked about 
uh, how that team comes together. Do you have a consistent internal ranking of your, your number one to your number six or eight, however many you, you happen to be playing? Uh, I know coaches have different philosophies on that and whether you kind of like to keep a, a consistent static lineup or if it changes throughout the, the season. Kind of what's your, your, your philosophy on that and what should we expect? Well, it does change throughout the year, right? Um, so, yeah, we're playing six singles, three doubles. Yeah, I think 90% of the lineup is really decided by the guys based on their fall results, right? I mean, at the end, results. And I think that's why we're also, it's not just practice. Of course, practice impressions matter. But for us, since we have a fall, yeah, if someone if someone wins a big tournament in the fall, he's probably going to play high in the lineup. Yeah, there's not that much ambiguity or decision for me to make. Yeah, it's then the nuances. Well, who's playing one or two? Who's playing three and four? And I think, yeah, of course, one is who is just better. But I think there's also a little bit what's the best fit for a certain character for a certain game style. Yeah, like give, let me give you a specific example. I think playing six is probably the toughest spot because in your brain, every player thinks I'm the first guy out. If I lose... My coach is going to switch me and he's going to put number seven in there. Yeah, even though we are, I mean, the truth is between five and six, it's probably the same level of play. Yeah, but emotionally, six is probably the toughest spot to play. So I'm actually trying to avoid playing freshmen at six. Yeah, ideally, I really like playing guys with experience, guys that understand, that don't put that additional pressure on them. Yeah, so making these little nuances. Yeah, then you have guys, you know, when someone wins four or five matches in a row, He's probably going to move up. If someone loses three matches in a row, you probably move him down a little bit yeah, to give him his confidence back or try to get him on a, on a winning streak. So I think the first couple months of the season, you're experimenting with that a little bit or, or you're going based on you know, someone being on a winning streak, on a losing streak. But ideally, what you're trying to accomplish is by conference season to have your lineup and then stick with it. Then really, everybody's comfortable at their lineup spot. So that's my goal that by, by the time we start Sunbelt, to have our lineup sort of in stone and only make changes if we have injuries. All right, so we've talked about recruiting, how you build teams, and how you look at players. I'd love to hear what you think fans can do to help you become a better coach and a more successful team. Oh, that's a, that's a great question. I think number one, come out and support us. Yeah, and I think we have we have a loyal fan base. You know, the Folk Stevens Center is one of the nicest indoor centers in in the country, and we have a great fan base. But it's it's really interesting. Every time someone new steps in our building and watches a match for the first time, it ninety nine percent. It's I had no idea college tennis is so much fun. Yeah, you watch tennis live on TV, and it's this traditional you know white sport. You got to be quiet in between points, and in college tennis there's energy. There's, there's, there's noise in between points and, and fans really do enjoy the dynamics. So I think, number one, come out, support our team, get to know our team. Yeah, the, the more we can grow our fan base, yeah, that helps in recruiting when, when, when our kids see that there's, there's people coming. Um, you know, and I hate to say it, but, you know, the NIL, the collective fundraising is unfortunately a big part of it, right? We are just not in a situation where where we can do things that other schools can do, which is also satisfying, right? When when we beat Virginia Tech, when we beat Penn State, like a couple of years, it feels better. We got to work a little harder for our success. So th so that, that that's the great part. But, you know, we talked about our four and a half scholarships. I'm telling you, we, we don't get those four and a half scholarships from ODU. We're not fully funded. And I think 
almost none of our programs are at ODU. And I think a lot of fans miss that part. Yeah, none of our guys, as I mentioned that earlier as well, but none of our guys has a full scholarship. All our guys are paying to be at ODU. All of them, all their families are making a sacrifice to be at ODU. And, you know, through fundraising, we're helping them to do summer school so they can graduate in four years. We, we can do it. We, uh, so yeah, we are fundraising to, to, to even the playing field. Yeah. Um, but I just want to understand. I, I, I want the listeners to understand that fundraising is not that we're giving them extra meals or, or they can now fly instead of driving the bus. It's not that. It's really our fundraising goes mainly into scholarships, making sure that they graduate in four years and get a degree after four years and you know, allowing us for them to get at least tuition and fees. Yeah, but again, none of our, all of our guys are paying for their living expenses to be at ODU, and and I, and I think it's important for people to understand that again, this is not what you always. Yeah, you know, some people here, student athletes get all of this. Yeah, a lot of them at uh, at certain sports or at certain schools, but in the Olympic sports, that's not reality. Coach, for thank you for kind of illuminating that for I mean, not only Mike and myself but all of our listeners to really understand. I mean, it. we have like a near and dear spot in our hearts or say the, the walk-on athlete. And this is kind of like the extension of that, of you know, the commitment of you, know, you really got to want to be there, both the student athlete and, you know, the, the parents, because there's a big investment and a big commitment. And not all of those yeah. families have a ton of resources. So it's a great opportunity for us to give a shameless plug that we, like to do all the time is the people who are listening to this are diehard Old Dominion fans for the most part. So if you're not an ODAP member, you know, please consider it. If you're not a member of the collective, which just came out, go to the pride of ODU.com, take a look at it. But Mike and I both joined the moment that it went live. And we really encouraged ODU fans to take a look at that and become a member. Uh, Folk Stevens is an awesome facility. I'm there a lot with my son. And last year, I was there a lot watching games. It's great for fans who haven't been there. You're really on top of the action, the way that it's built. So you've got tons of great views yeah. no matter what courts your, your guys are playing on. I would just say for folks, get out there, support the squad. Coach, do you have a message for Monarch Nation? What do you want to leave everybody with? You know, I think one thing that also is very important to me, it's just not just men's tennis, it's women's tennis. Yeah, um, our women's team... Uh, I hope I can say that they've been kicking butt the last couple of years. Yeah, they're, they're dominating the conference. They, they're making at large bits. They don't even have to win the conference to make the NCAA tournament. And I mean, how many teams on campus do we have that do that? And I think they did that three years in a row. They're winning matches in the NCAA tournament. And I think you know, Dom, we're the Dom and Dom, yeah, Dom Manila and me, we, both of our teams, we have a great relationship. And I think you can't take that for granted. And I think there's a lot of, I hear from a lot of other schools where women's and men's tennis, they feel like they're competing for the same resources, they're competing for the same attention, and there's not a good um, atmosphere in the building. And I think our teams go along really well. Our players like each other. We're genuinely happy for the other team's success. And I think it's important for me to understand, if, if you look, if, you, if, if anybody sees an ODU tennis player on campus or in public, it always says ODU tennis. It doesn't say ODU women's tennis, ODU men's tennis on their jerseys. Yeah, I think we're really seeing it as ODU tennis. And, and, and that's important to me to really, it's, it's, again, it's not men's tennis, it's not women's tennis, it's ODU tennis. And both, both programs yeah, are front runners. 
Yeah, uh, Don Manila a lot of times said, yeah, we're tennis school. And then I like that saying. And um, yeah, that, 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 that people understand uh, the sacrifice that our athletes are making, the, uh, how well they're representing our school yeah, in, in all facets. Both teams have high GPAs, both teams do community service. Um, it's really, it's more than just a success on court yeah, that, that we are now experiencing. It's, um, it's the off-court stuff that makes both of these programs special. Awesome. Coach, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate your time, and go Monarchs. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Go Monarchs.